0: Our prayer for illumination. Spirit of life, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Meet us in words written, in words spoken. Intercede for us with sighs too deep for words until we shine with the hope that is hidden in our hearts. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our first reading today... Is from the Book of Genesis, chapter twenty-nine, verses fifteen through twenty-eight. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Laban said to Jacob, "Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be?" Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, "Give me my wife, that I may go in to her, for my name is my time is completed." So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave her his, his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word, thanks be to God.
1: Our Gospel reading for this morning is from Matthew 13, verses 31 to 33 and 44 to 48. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air can come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding a pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. The gospel of the Lord, praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Scandalous God, sowing weeds among the crop, Raising bread with impure yeast. Offering treasure beyond price. Casting a net that catches both good and bad. Throw down our mean idols of purity and possession. And let the Son of Man show us your inclusive, provocative, wide-branching love. Through Jesus Christ, we pray, the stumbling block. Amen. Chinua Achibe, the great Nigerian author who wrote the novel Things Fall Apart, said, until the lions have their own historians, the history of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. As someone who lived under colonial rule, Achibe knew that the powerful cannot be trusted to tell the truth about themselves. They just can't. (laughs) And this is perhaps the great lesson of our time, that we must be willing to re-examine what we've been taught from new perspectives, particularly from that of the conquered. While it can be painful to hear the history of the hunt from the lion's perspective, there is great blessing in it as well. From a Nazi prison cell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, it remains an experience of incomparable value that we have for once learned to see the great events of world history from below. From the perspective of the outcast, the suspects, the maltreated, the powerless, the oppressed and reviled, in short, from the perspective of suffering. See, for Bonhoeffer, to see history from the perspective of suffering is to see with the eyes of Christ, for Christ is one with all who suffer. As we return to the story of Jacob and his complicated, incestuous, polygamous marriage, it's clear to me now who the hunters and who the hunted are in this story. The hunters are Jacob and Laban, and Rachel is the hunted. How would she tell this story? In case you didn't really know that marriage was a property transaction in the ancient world, this story makes it as clear as can be, yes, yes. Laban asks his nephew, what shall your wages be for all this work you're doing for me? Jacob says, I'll take that daughter, Rachel, of yours, in exchange for seven years' labor. So Laban agrees to these terms, but in the process he tricks Jacob and sneaks in his less desirable daughter, Leah, in a strange two-for-the-price-of-two scheme with... Rachel being purchased on credit. I think the story is actually meant to be funny. That Jacob, who has been this trickster throughout his life, is finally tricked by someone else. But if upon hearing this story you cringed a little bit, or a lot a bit, well that's good. I'm cringing too. The only way that this story is funny is if you ignore the hunter. If this is simply a property exchange between two powerful men, then I suppose it's a humorous and awkward story. But if we turn our attention to Rachel and to Leah, the joke just doesn't seem funny anymore. In recent years, there's been a lot of talk in our public discourse about upholding the biblical definition of marriage. You all heard about this? Yeah? Let's get back to the biblical definition of marriage. You read a story like this and you go, which definition did you have in mind? Because here we have two sisters marrying their first cousin. And if we follow the story just a couple verses longer, Jacob also marries the handmaidens of Rachel and Leah, which is really just a euphemism for slaves. And so before it's over, Jacob will have 12 sons and one daughter from four different wives, two of whom are sisters and the other two are slaves. And that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. Well, if that's biblical marriage, you can count me out. (laughs) No, thank you. So here's the truth. The Bible presents us with many different visions of what marriage is. And it is up to us to decide which vision most honors God and the people around us. What vision of marriage honors Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Surely that vision will involve consent. Yes? First bar, but an important one. It will involve equality, dignity, fidelity, and of course, love. And if we're honest, we'll recognize that few marriages in the Bible, precious few, meet this vision. Perhaps God is inviting us not to look back, but to embody something better in our lives. Now how might we view this story from Rachel's perspective? Last week we saw Jacob's dream of the stairway to heaven, and after that dream he awakes and he heads to Haran and he is on the hunt for a wife. He finds his way to a well where the shepherds bring their flocks to drink, the same well incidentally that his father's servant found his mother rebecca at one generation before and so we see again wells are the place of romance in the bible and this is where rachel makes her first appearance she's brought her fa- father, father's flock that's hard <laughs> brought her father's flock to the well and why does she do that well it's because she was a shepherd Throughout Scripture, shepherds are metaphors for leaders of God's people. Kings are compared to shepherds. God is compared to a shepherd. Uh, The Messiah is said to be a shepherd of God's people. And of course, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. So let me ask you did you know that there were women shepherds in the Bible? Neither did I. But it's right here in the book of Genesis. Rachel is the shepherd doing work that's typically reserved for men, working outside the home, doing her thing. Do you see what happens when we overlook the Rachels of history? Perhaps if we had taken this approach, it wouldn't have taken the church 1,900 years before it started considering to allow women to pastor churches. Maybe we would have done that sooner had we paid attention sooner. Jacob sees Rachel, and he falls for her immediately, presumably because he finds her physically attractive. The Bible rarely communicates or comments on people's physical appearance, but here it points out just how attractive Rachel was, while her sister Leah apparently less so. And so we see that the value of women both then and now is often based solely on their physical appearance. Now, did did Rachel want to be with Jacob? We aren't told, and that speaks volumes. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, gave her consent to marry Isaac back in Genesis 24, but we never hear if either Rachel or Leah consent to this polygamous, incestuous plot of their fathers. Did they have any choice in the matter whatsoever? We don't know. We don't know. And that is not good enough. See, women's consent was not a great concern in the ancient world. And it is still undervalued in our time. Marital rape was not outlawed in our country until 1993. How is that possible? See, we like to think of ourselves as so much more advanced than the ancient world, but how far are we from 1993? History from below demonstrates that women's consent has simply not been a priority. And sadly, it is under assault in our time in new ways as well. We must do better. Bonhoeffer says that it is an experience of incomparable value to witness. World history from below. And he is right. But it also hurts. It hurts because it reveals whose voices matter and whose do not. When your voice and your will and your consent are secondary to the men in your life, how human are you? When you are traded like property so your dad can extract labor from his nephew, What does that say about how your dad values you, much less your husband? Dorothy Sayers wrote an essay in 1947 entitled, Are Women Human? We dare not answer that question too quickly. Because it doesn't matter what we say. What matters is what we do. Do we, as a church, as a community, as a society, treat women as full human beings, deserving of respect and autonomy over their bodies, their well-being, their future? Do we treat women as humans? We never find out if Rachel loved Jacob. And I suspect she didn't. We know that he loved her as much as you can love your property. We know that Leah desperately wanted Jacob's love and never receives it. And so for Genesis to not speak of Rachel's feelings at all, speaks volumes. I suspect that she saw her life in marriage for what it was. Dehumanizing. The ancient world valued women insofar as they could bear children. And so after seeing her sister Leah give birth to four sons, Rachel decides she wants children too. So following years of infertility, God finally grants Rachel a son, Joseph, of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. And later she gives birth to her second son, but she dies in the process. And in her last breath, she names her son ben o which means son of my suffering. It is a sad and tragic name, but it is also true, for Rachel knew much suffering. Now Jacob ignores Rachel's dying wish and renames his son, something happier. Benjamin, son of my strength. And so we see that even in her death, Rachel's will is secondary to her husband's. Because the hunters write the history. It is a sad story, and the only way to make it happy is to ignore Rachel and instead to focus on Jacob. See, Jacob, in the end, despite all of his foibles, always comes out a winner. And everybody loves winners. But we've ignored the Rachels of our world for far too long. Rachel loses her life for her child like so many women before her and too many women today and we honor their sacrifice by lifting their voices, by grieving their unrealized dreams, by honoring their history and bearing witness to their suffering, we can create something better for the women of our world. And there are some of us who are used to having their stories told and heard And celebrated. We're used to being the center of attention, of having our opinions and our dreams matter. And there are some of us who are used to being overlooked and unheard. That's you. Jesus tells a story that I'd like you to hear. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and then hid. And then in his joy, he sells all that he has and buys that field. And I wonder what you thought that parable means. Normally, when it's taught, we are told this parable means that the treasure is the kingdom of God, and we need to be willing to give up everything we have that we might have that great treasure. I think that's completely wrong. When Asher was a young boy, I would sing to him every night before he went to bed. we would go through a litany of songs, but I'd always end with this one. I love you today, and I love you tomorrow. I love you as deep as the sea. I love you in joy, and I love you in sorrow. You can always come home to me. There once was a man who found him a treasure buried out under a tree. He sold all he had just to own it forever. And the treasure is you, you see. I love you today and I love you tomorrow. I love you as deep as the sea. I love you in joy and I love you in sorrow. You can always come home to me. While others may overlook you and deny your humanity, your life matters, your suffering matters. You are God's great treasure. One for whom God gladly spends every last penny just to be with you. And no one could ever take that away from you. Amen.